0: underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. I was checking out your Instagram, Herc, over the weekend. I think you're donning some gear from your travels. Tell us about what you were up to, my man.
1: You you caught this whole thing? Uh, (laughs) Took the fam out to the bank to watch Angel City. They played against uh, Chicago Red Stars. Did not disappoint, they put on a show. Good atmosphere, family had a good time. Brought a few friends who had not come out to a game. They really enjoyed it too, so not too shabby about yourself.
0: All right, uh, speaking of gifts, I had a good weekend. I didn't get any VIP invites with all my friends to Angel City, uh, but I did get this Birmingham Legion jersey that shipped in. Also, Herc, don't worry. You were included as well. They got you covered.
1: Show me your eyes when you put that jersey up. Show me your eyes when you put the jersey up. Put it other way around. I, I, I want this still framed. The other way around. I want a still frame of you and your eyes, the little Gomez. Please, do me no, that favor.
0: No, no, no. Are? I will tell you it's a uh, it's a large, and this one is a small. So they keep rubbing it in. They keep rubbing it in, uh, the good friends it that send us It looks kind of big uh, on you, I'm just jerseys. saying. All right, Uh, look, we got a lot coming up in this show. Let's not mess around too much. You have a one on one interview coming up with Luca Della Torre, of course, who just made the move to Celta Vigo in La Liga. We got some wild weekends to recap in both Major League Soccer and in Liga MX, And we have not one, not two, but three Americans on the final list for the Ballon d'Or in the women's game. So we will discuss that. But, Herc, we have to start in Europe specifically in the Premier League, specifically with what for many was the game of the weekend, Chelsea against Spurs. Now, uh, Antonio Conte and Thomas Tuchel, they kind of stole the headlines. Kinda? For American fans, uh, the headline was Christian Pulisic, who did not start again, hurt for a second straight game. He came on in the 85th minute, so only got a few minutes of playing time. Uh, this amid reports from The Guardian about four or five days ago, that Thomas Tuchel, quote, does not trust Christian Pulisic. So with all that, Herc, as our background, is right now, and when I say right now, I mean right now, with only two weeks left in the transfer window, so you know it's going to be a rush deal, is now the time, with three months to go to the World Cup, for Christian Pulisic to leave Chelsea Football Club.
1: Uh, It was two weeks ago. Not right now. Mm. It was two weeks ago. It was that urgent of a move. Do you remember when he was here, with Chelsea in Los Angeles and we went out to interview him. Mm -hmm. I interviewed him 1v1 and I framed a question about trust, Thomas Tuchel's trust in him. And I said, sometimes it's tough for a player to break that pattern, to break the habit. They still see you as that young player when they give you your debut. And his body language spoke volumes to me. So Mm. uh, this is now what we're seeing the reports about the trust. And now we're seeing the little playing time he has been receiving, uh, he's got to go. And he's got to go now. He's got to be the guy knocking on the manager's door. He's got to be asking the manager. He's got to be asking the front office, the board, whoever it may be, his release, his transfer. Mm. Uh, And and quite frankly, it's not even debatable.
0: Can I be honest? I don't really believe these reports that Thomas Tuchel doesn't trust Christian Pulisic. He played him in a Champions League final. He's played him in huge um. games. To say that Thomas Tuchel doesn't trust him. Now, Thomas Tuchel doesn't trust him or isn't going to play him as a starter. That's a different conversation. I think it's clear, right? We look at that roster. You see Mount. You see Sterling. You see Havertz. It's unlikely that Christian Pulisic is going to play. To me here, Herc, there's kind of a showdown going on between what Christian Pulisic needs in the short term, which we all understand, 90 days from the start of the World Cup, is playing time, and lots of it, and a significant role, and probably even more specifically, playing time in his favorite position, which he's not getting right now at Chelsea. But I think long-term, Herc, there is a future for him at Chelsea. I don't think it's crazy to suggest that even if Tuchel isn't the manager to get him to that successful future at Chelsea, he might outlast Thomas Tuchel. I don't think we've ever heard Christian Pulisic complain about being at Chelsea. There's plenty of evidence for me to suggest that he is happy there. He's won a Champions League. And I think also what we have to acknowledge here is it's a guy who has a lot of potential and has had success there when he's been able to play. I don't think I'm ready to pull the plug on Christian Pulisic at Chelsea just yet. But if you do believe that now is the time, that it is an urgent matter, let me suggest this. Don't make it a permanent move. Don't rush a permanent move with two weeks to go in the transfer window. Make it as a loan. So whether Mm. it's a loan or whether it's permanent, Herc, where would you have him end up?
1: Uh, By the way, you can't just say you believe he's at the right place and just let it skim by like Mm -hmm. that. You can't just say he trusts him and neglect the fact that he doesn't play him lately and he doesn't look happy when he's coming on and that when he has played, it's not been in his preferred position. It's been as a right wing back. Don't just Mm -hmm. skim through that. You conveniently left all that out. All right, I agree with you. This is where I do agree with Mm -hmm. you. Let's not get hasty here. Let's not make a rash decision that affects the rest of your life because where do you go? Mm -hmm. from a Champions League winner contender. Where do you go for a team that's a big four, that's going to be fighting for titles, regardless of what people want to say about City or Liverpool? Like, Chelsea is a team that can realistically fight. That is the truth, okay? And they're big players, big team. That's where you want to be. You're not going to go anywhere else. I mean, will they pay over a $70 million transfer for him? You're just going to let him leave like that? No, they're going to want to recuperate some of that money. You have to pay his wages too. Who can realistically take that over? Initially, I thought to myself, Juventus, Juventus. But Juventus isn't going to pay that. Juventus <clears throat> isn't going to come close to that. Uh, it's not going to be that type of situation. We've heard this before. And Newcastle has been the tip of a lot of people's tongues. Now, this is an interesting project for me. Okay? Newcastle, if you will, is new money. Newcastle is gonna revitalize that roster, gonna do anything they do to inject life into it in the way that we've seen PSG do, in the way that we saw Chelsea do it back in the day, throwing dollars at it. Look at that. That's the competition, right? Don't focus too much here, because those are are goal scorers, right? Okay, Alan St. Maximin. Okay, Miguel Almiron, another one. Matt Ritchie, Murphy. Those are the few that he would probably fight time over with. If you're Christian Pulisic, you take your chances there. Mm -hmm. If it's a loan, because you said it, it's 90 days. I need to play today. Realistically, Christian Pulisic could be at Chelsea, not playing? And that's not going to affect his U.S. men's national team standing at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. You know this. He's still going to play. Greg Berhalter is still going to trust him. But you need to be playing. You need to be happy. You need to be in rhythm heading into that World Cup. The timing of this World Cup is so terrible. It's going to put players yes. in a predicament where they need to be playing. They need to be running all, all cylinders. And they need to be heading mm-hmm. in with rhythm.
0: So you mentioned Newcastle. I think the Athletic were the first to report it, but I saw today a report from a Newcastle-based journal. So it's now picking up steam in a lot of different places, the Christian Pulisic to Newcastle link. We saw that list of players, right? Let's really think about the play- players who play in his wide attacking positions, right? Because I think that's where we want to see him yeah. most. We saw Alan St. Maxim in there, who is the guy, right? That is their guy in that role. He However, may not stay. Newcastle just greenlit a potential transfer for him, right? So he may be out the door. And the other guy that starts there is Miguel Almiron, which as much love as as we have here and as MLS fans might have for Miguel Almiron, this is not a guy who has been productive in the Premier League. He had one goal last year. His best Premier League season is four goals. That's Christian Pulisic's worst Premier League season. So I think if you're Christian Pulisic, you're walking into a starting spot at Newcastle. It's perfect, right, Herc?
1: It's perfect, and you've said the most important thing here. It's a loan deal. Mm. So they'll take the wages on, but you get him back. He could have a great World Cup. You could do something else if you're Chelsea later on. The The fact that you stated that he made outlast Thomas Tuchel is a reality mm-hmm. in sports. Uh, the players will outlast the managers in what is professional sports. A lot of the times, this is a harsh reality of, of this business. So you're right on track. And this there is an American owner who might have some... Uh, interest in, in Christian Pulisic mm-hmm. sticking around. I don't think we've seen, <clears throat> excuse me, the best of Christian Pulisic with Chelsea, and he's won a Champions League.
0: Yep. Uh, one more note on this from the Newcastle perspective. Eddie Howe, the manager, is known I think to get get a lot out of attacking players and likes to play kind of an aggressive style. At least he did when he was at Bournemouth. But he was quoted yesterday talking about players coming on loan who may have a future return to their clubs in mind. He said he would be quote reluctant. To make moves like that So if Pulisic is thinking about Newcastle At least as a short-term possibility I don't know how well that'll go over With the manager Eddie Howe But we'll have to see about that Again, two weeks left In the transfer window All right, Herc Speaking of Americans Who could potentially use a move What about Serginho Dest? He was left off the matchday squad Entirely for Barcelona's La Liga opener Serves them right he uh, <laughs> suffered a disappointing scoreless draw against Rayo Vallecano at home. Uh, after the game Xavi the manager was asked directly about Serginho Dest. Here's what he had to say.
2: In America they were surprised because uh, Serginho Dest was not even in the squad. This is uh, a tactical decision or you don't come with him? For, yeah, for just a technical decision of course we have uh, many possibilities to to choose uh, players so uh, he knows uh, he knows my my opinion about about him, and, and this is the. Of course, it's a pity because many players uh, cannot play. But uh, but this is the this is football, no.
0: All right, Herrick. A couple of weeks ago, you and I were talking about the potential move of Sergio Desta to Manchester United. It Was a segment we did for the YouTube channel. By the way, check out the ESPN FC YouTube channel. Plenty of great bonus material from the show over there. And you called Manchester United. Toxic, And you should have seen the comments. Never read the comments, Herc, but the Manchester United fans were crushing you. It turns out you may have, in this instance and only in this instance, been right. So, which would be the less toxic situation, i.e., which would you rather? Manchester United and all the toxicity that you've claimed in the past that's brewing there, or Barcelona, where clearly it seems, for Sergio Des, the writing is on the wall?
1: Barcelona. There is no more toxic situation in all of world football like Manchester United. A career derailer, mm. if you will, for most. No, for all. Cristiano Ronaldo has his career derailed at this very moment. What hope does Sergio Dest have? Now look, I understand, okay? You have a center back right now playing mm. your position if you're Sergio Dest. But listening to Xavi, it almost feels like he's leaving the door open. These mm. things happen. Prove yourself to me. You can be back in. That's how football is. I don't think it's that grim for him in Barcelona compared to what it could be like in Manchester United. Listen, you may get paid better. You may all of a sudden play. But if things don't go well, mm. now in the eyes of many, that's Barcelona and Manchester United have not gone well for. It. Where, where do you go from there? What's What's the backstory, what's the, what's the, content, the context, excuse me, surrounding Sergio Dest at that point? The next three months of Sergio Dest's future could be the most important of his career. The one that sets you on the path to being a huge contributor in the European game for yourself, a model for U.S. men's national team players going forward, or hmm. one of these cautionary tales of how it spiraled down.
0: I think you're understating how toxic it is at Barcelona, right? I know you're saying Xavi doesn't seem to have closed the door, but he's had months, years at this point, to open the door for Sergino and He hasn't exactly given him the confidence or the trust yet in any real significant situation, Eric. I think we have to acknowledge that. The other reality here is... I feel like Dest at this point, this late in the transfer window, is kind of getting bullied by Barcelona. This is a message, right? They're not just they're not just benching him. They're leaving him in the stands. And they're saying, hey, you might not have great options. You may have watched the video on the YouTube channel and seen that Hercules Gomez says Manchester United is toxic, but those toxic options are at least playing time. Here at Barcelona, we got, we got a center back who we're starting, and we got Sergi Roberto, who's our backup. Those are the guys we would rather go to than use you. That's a pretty clear message to me, Herc. The, the opposite side of this is, as bad as you want to say Manchester United is, it's a manager that wants him, and it's a manager that needs a right back. I mean, if you're telling me the manager at Barcelona is saying, maybe I haven't given up on you, And a manager of Manchester United saying, hey, I got a spot for you. I want you here. I don't care how toxic things are. I need to play. I think Manchester United is 100% the move here. I don't think there's another option for Desturk.
1: So you mentioned Thomas Tuchel might not outlive Christian politick, last Christian Pulisic. well,
0: lifespan if you <laughs> yes, will. Yeah, I know what
1: you mean. Okay. <laughs> uh, at Chelsea, Xavi has the the worst productivity of any mm-hmm. coach in the modern era at Barca. So that could be the same at mm. Barcelona. Now you mention, you mention all that. Manchester United's been toxic for more mm-hmm. than a couple of seasons, their problems aren't about money. The, the, Barcelona is bullying players like Frankie de Jong uh, to try to sell, the same way they're bullying Sergio Des to try to sell. But what goes on at Manchester United goes a lot further than just the dollar, because they spent probably more than any team, mm-hmm. any team in world football over the years. It's just a toxic situation from the ownership down, and we're seeing on the field to the point that. One of the most famous footballers of all time wants out to the point that any player who's gone there, I don't think you can name a player that recently that you said has gotten better for his time at Manchester United. Mm-hmm. You said don't make rash decisions when we're talking about these loans or transfers, if you will, heading into the World Cup right now with two weeks to go in the transfer. Serginho Dest could make the decision in going mm-hmm. to Manchester United that literally takes him off the rails of European football.
0: Look, my only worry with Manchester United from a Sergio death standpoint, because, again, I will say this, Herc, we're talking about a 21-year-old in the American pool potentially moving to Manchester United, right? Let's not lose sight of, of, of what that means. It's still a massive club no matter you know, what you want to say about this team. The one thing I'll say that would be a worry for me, because you talk about managerial longevity, is Eric Ten Hag has not gotten off to a good start. If you watch any of the recent episodes of ESPN FC, they're two games into his tenure, Herc, and they're already starting about, starting the conversations about maybe Eric Ten Hag won't last. So if you go to Manchester United and Ten Hag were to go, then I would be very, very worried about that. Then it would be worse than Barcelona. But as Ronald long Koeman, as there's a manager... As long as there's a manager there who wants you, I think that's where you need to be if you are Sergio Dez. Speaking of Barcelona, they will be in action this weekend, and of course, you can watch it on ESPN Plus, taking on Carlos Vela's former team, Real Sociedad. That one Sunday on ESPN Plus. Do not miss it. Pasión,
2: determinación y constancia. Es lo que te hace campeón. Y mantiene tu actitud de ride or die, baby. eBay Motors. o se te devuelve tu dinero. Porque con eBay Motors, ¡qué llantas y no tu dinero! Con las piezas que buscas, a los precios que quieres, tu auto se convertirá en el MVP que te dará el triunfo. eBay Motors. eBayMotors.com Solo para artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones.
0: Uh, elsewhere, of course, in La Liga, we have Luca della Torre, who just made the move to Celta Vigo, and Herka, you spoke with him. So, uh, real quick, give me give me a, a little bit of information here. When was this, and kind of give us the scope of what you guys discussed.
1: This was a little over a week ago, right mm-hmm. before the kick of La Liga, and we discussed all things. His move to La Liga from Eredivisie, him being on the outs of the U.S. men's national team to make in the U.S. men's national team, and... A little bit of where he stands in said U.S. men's national team, his future at the World Cup. And hold on. I know we've spoken about the importance of uh, Luca Della Torre, and if he will start in mm-hmm. the World Cup, I think mm-hmm. he gives a good indication of that.
0: Okay. All right. So without further ado, here's Hercules Gomez one-on-one with Luca Della Torre.
1: Luca, thanks for being with us, my man.
4: Thanks. I'm happy to be here.
1: Luca, let's talk. The decision to leave Heracles, the next move was always going to be the most important one. Uh, why did you choose Celta de Vigo?
4: Yeah, obviously, with the way last season ended with Heracles, I needed to move, um, and I always wanted to make another step up um, to one of the best leagues in the world, and I have that opportunity here at Celta. So, when I had the option, I, yeah, I just I took it right away. I I knew it would be the right move for me.
1: Now, Luca, as a player, you always have your agent in your ear. You always have maybe the sporting director telling you there are some very interesting offers. Uh, Was Celta the only offer or are there any other places that sort of intrigued you?
4: Yeah, there were um, other options. At the time, Celta was the one that was ready to go first. and. I think in football, like maybe people have the idea that guys have six or seven options every time they make a move, but usually you have one or two. And it was really clear to me that this was the right one.
1: Now you speak about this being the right move. It is a World Cup year, so it's very important. that the head coach at Celta de Vigo, have you spoken to him? What have you found out or heard about maybe what your role will be with Celta?
4: Yeah, the football they play here is is really attacking. Um, kind of with more three uh, offensive midfielders, a little bit higher up the pitch. So I'm going to be fitting into one of those um, positions. Um, And as far as the style of play, I think it matches what I'm good at. It's a lot of combinations, passing, keeping the ball, also countering very fast and running a lot and pressing. Do
1: you feel La Liga was best suited for your traits or do you think there's maybe another league out there that best suits you?
4: Um, I think that I could fit in anywhere with with good players, and that's why I'm really excited about this. Is just you know playing with uh, with better players, and I'm you know just enjoying even training so far. It's been it's been really good for me.
1: All right, Luca, let's backtrack. I, I got to ask a question. How does a 15 year old from San Diego end up in England in one of the most American
4: teams ever in Fulham? Um, yeah, it was kind of a. A crazy decision, I guess, looking back at it, like moving halfway across the world when I was so young. But at the time, I felt like my options were either to go to residency, um, to go to Europe uh, and play in an academy, or to maybe kind of take a, take a step back and decide to go to college uh, on a scholarship um, for football. So I decided to, to go to Fulham and um, yeah.
1: Is there maybe some unfinished business in the Premier League for you?
4: Yeah, I would love to play in the Premier League. Um, I think that, you know, maybe in the future that would, yeah, that would, that would really be something I would want to do.
1: Is there a specific place? Because we see now Americans going to the Premier League, and it seems like a lot of them are heading with Jesse Marsh in the Leeds. Is there anywhere specifically you think you'd be suited for?
4: um no like at the moment i'm not really thinking about that you know it's just uh it's about celta vigo now it's about breaking in here and playing really well in liga which is also one of the best leagues in the world like the premier League.
1: what's it like to come back to the national team in this setup now i'll I'll phrase it this way with guys that you already know because we talk youth national teams you've been in youth national teams with guys like tyler adams christian pulisic what's it like to be back on the national team but with those guys
4: um yeah it's it's crazy when you think about it that we've known each other since we were 12 years old maybe some some even younger um and to have like i guess five guys come through and and play for the national team uh maybe more um yeah it's it's good it's always like a really good feeling when we meet up too because those are guys that went through something similar that i did you know everyone moved to europe when they were really young uh, so it's a really unique experience, like being an American in Europe by yourself when you're young, a football player. So in a, in a way, those are like the only guys that have, uh, we've all been through the same thing. So it's nice to to see them.
0: What are you
1: thinking? What's going on in your head when you're seeing these guys get called up and they've been there since the beginning with you and you're not part of that setup? Like, What was your psyche then at that moment?
4: Yeah, it was really difficult. Um, I had a couple of hard seasons at Fulham where I was injured for maybe like, eight months out of uh, out of two seasons or something. And that was at the time Christian was breaking in at Dortmund and Weston was playing. Uh, I think Tyler moved to Germany around then as well. So, um, you know, it was difficult for me because I know these guys and they're really, really good players. But at the time I felt like uh, I wasn't getting opportunities because of things that were, you know, maybe some things out of my control. Maybe I was a bit unlucky. Maybe I could have done some things better. Um, but, yeah, it was definitely like motivating though, to see that they could do it. And I knew that if they could do it. Then I was good enough too.
1: Now you spoke about Christian Pulisic. What's it like for you to see the rise of Christian Pulisic? Cause you guys were teenagers together. What's the evolution of Christian Pulisic been like for you?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, what I like about Christian, what I admire about him the most is that he's a really tough guy. You know, he has a he's able to recognize when things are hard and when they're hard, he really turns up and, and, you know, doesn't hide. Right. Um, and I think that's really admirable. Uh, so yeah.
1: Do you think maybe he doesn't get enough credit for that? Cause when people talk about Christian Pulisic, maybe that mental fortitude isn't one of the things that stands out to people. You think some people just kind of bypass that?
4: I don't know what other people say about my teammates and, to be honest, I you know, I don't really I don't really care. I know these guys personally and they're friends, but also they're teammates. And, you know, I know how hard it is to, to go through things on the pitch and to be a footballer. So I just try to support everyone, you know, in that way.
1: 2018, you got your debut with the U.S. Men's National Team. It was a few years later till you came back and got that second crack. You're very well, uh, very much into the mix of the World Cup um, in that rotation, in that roster. You're fighting for a spot right now. What's your mentality? Uh, Do you realize what's at stake? What's going through your head?
4: Yeah, it's a really exciting time, you know, in my career. Um, I think like every other player on the roster, I'm fighting for minutes. I'm fighting for a starting spot. Um, I want to help the team win games, you know? Um, So I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing, working really hard, trying to take opportunities when they come and see where that takes me.
1: What's the path for you, Luca, been like to the US Men's National Team when you look back at it?
4: Yeah, it was... I guess it was strange making my debut when I was 19 um, because, in my opinion, I didn't really deserve it. It was kind of a transition period in the... In the national team, you know, I think I played the whole season in the reserves at Fulham. I maybe had five or six appearances. And at the end of the season, I made my debut for the first team. Um, But after, you know, when I'd broken in at Heracles, that was when I felt like, okay, you know, I deserve this. Uh, You know, I should be here now. I want the minutes, you know, I want the opportunities. And so it took a while for, for me to get to that stage, definitely.
1: I'm curious. You saying you don't think you deserved it. I don't think I've ever heard a footballer say they have not deserved something like a full national team call up. But your psyche in that moment. You think maybe you weren't ready for it. Are, are you more ready for it now?
4: Yeah, definitely. I, at that time in my career, I hadn't played barely any, you know, barely any first team minutes. Um, by the time I started, you know, I was called up by Greg and started playing uh, with him. I was, you know, more of a, a professional player.
1: Well, talk to me about the Eredivisie, Heracles, uh, that revival, if you will, of your career. How, how did that league help you? How did the style of play help you grow?
4: Yeah, it really helped me. Um, I think just getting the chance to get on the field you know, was the most important thing. Also, I was lucky I had the right manager at the right time there in, uh, in Frank Warmouth, who moved me from uh, playing as a wide player to playing uh, centrally in a more natural position for me um so that was really important as well and yeah i learned a lot of things there you know i felt like i kind of yeah came into my own as a player well,
1: let's go back to the national team for a second how do you feel in this national team setup what's been the feedback from greg berhalter like
4: yeah i feel good i think that um you know the thing with the national team is that you get you know very few opportunities and when you get an opportunity you have to do well and make it stick um especially when you're a player that doesn't play for a super high profile club. Uh, Like, you know, when I was at Heracles, I had the feeling that every time I played, I had to, you know, if I had a 10 minute cameo, I had to make five or six good actions or else I wouldn't get another chance, you know? So at this point, I feel like I've, you know, kind of done that enough. I have a little bit of breathing room, so that's nice.
1: You know, there was a game where there was a player, one of your teammates that scored, Jesus Ferreira, that scored, four goals in a game and i went on social media and said it's crazy to think but the man of the match is Luca de la torre but you didn't get on the score sheet you really didn't have any assists. talk to me about the way your game impacts the rest of your teammates
4: i had an assist in that game actually um but... oh you did yeah i did yeah <laughs> um yeah i think that uh i'm a player that's really strong between boxes right um i can move the ball up the pitch and kind of put it where it needs to be i guess is how i'd describe it um, and i can contribute in the final third as well i think that's still something i'm working on in my game and figuring out how to develop um, but the thing that i bring that other guys don't it's between the boxes
1: now as far as the national team and how old these guys are some would say that could be a disadvantage. You guys are going to be the youngest team at the World Cup by a whole year. I think the second youngest is Ecuador. Uh, do you see it as a disadvantage?
4: I don't think so. I think, it's, I think it's exciting. I think that you get different things when you play with younger players. Um, kind of, you know, you can get fearlessness and uh, guys that will play with, uh, you know, take risks, even though it's a big stage. So I think that that is the potential to have some big upsets at the World Cup.
1: Well, Luca, I'm rooting for you. Hope you do well, my man. Kill it in La Liga, and good luck in the World Cup.
4: Okay, thank you. Hercules
0: Gomez, the man with the big interview. Okay, so uh, actually this weekend, Herc, in Celta's 2-2 draw against Espanyol, Luca de la Torre, an un- used mm-hmm. sub. Now, previously on this very show, you have said you are 99.99999% sure that Luca Della Torre will start for the U.S. at some point at the World Cup in Qatar. You still that sure?
1: Yeah. If I had that 0.00001% of doubt, Luca has that confidence in it. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna stick with Luca. Listen, he's very sure of himself. He knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly what the setup is about. He knows exactly what he brings to the table. And because he is that type of player, I wanna roll the dice on a player like that. Especially with a coach like Bregberhalter, who will rotate these players. We saw in World Cup qualifying, I mean, 27, 28 players in a window would get playing time. I mean, if you go window to window, They always, I believe it was the third goalkeeper, the only one who didn't get the playing time. Everybody else was playing. So you have to assume in a World Cup where there's a game every three to four days, you'll have the same type of setup. He's a player that believes so much in his ability on the ball and his ability to progress the ball from one end to another, that I do feel he will be useful in that setup. And I do think he's gonna get a game set. I, I, I'm willing I'm willing to, to play and let the dice roll on this one. Uh,
0: yeah, there he is, there he is. The aggressive Hercules Gomez, ready to bet the mortgage that Luca Della Torre will start a game uh, there in Qatar. Look, it seems like there will be a game at some point in the tournament, especially if the U.S. advances. Where his skill set could be useful. Uh, I will say this though. You know who did start this weekend, who did play, and who did play ninety minutes, and I think complicates Luca Della Torres' shot at getting into the starting lineup? Who? Yunus Musa mm. for Valencia, and he played really well. I think we're all in agreement it's gonna be McKinney Adams and a player to be named later. I think, I think it's Eunice. It is Eunice, yeah. and I think I think if he's playing well, it's gonna be awful tough to take him out of the lineup. And he is playing very well right now. He's starting Whereas Luca Della Torre is an unused sub yeah. off the bench. There's a big gap there, right?
1: I, I know there's some there's there's somebody watching this right now who's gonna go into their computer and look at the amount of times that Greg Burhalter has repeated the same trio in the midfield. That would be great.
0: Okay. Okay. Very well. You think there, there are there people at home on the computer judging what we do on this show?
1: No, that are willing to go and check for us. I believe okay. those people are there, and I believe they will let us know. Thank you. Okay.
0: All right. Uh, by the way, next up for Celta... Real Madrid, it's the type of games Luca De La wants Ooh. to be playing in and the type of games we want to see him playing in. So uh, hopefully that'll come to fruition Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN+, your exclusive home for La Liga in English and Spanish in the United States. Speaking of exclusive homes, ESPN+, also your home for championship football where we find Daryl Dique, where. We found Daryl DK. He is out for at least two months with a torn thigh muscle. DK was injured in training after getting minutes uh, off the bench in West Brom's championship season opener. Herc, we know it is a heated battle for the number nine spot for the U.S. men's national team ahead of the World Cup. Does this injury end DK's candidacy for Qatar?
1: Yeah. Listen, I'm nobody to tell a young man that his dream of Mm. Qatar, of World Cup is over. But if you're telling me that you tear your muscle and they say two months at least and we're three months away from a World Cup that in, what, under 30 days, he will prove himself after not being part of the setup for over a year. And last time he was part of the setup was that Gold Cup run where he didn't quite have the best form. I know he was injured. I know he had that shoulder injury that he was uh, laboring around with. But he's not exactly covering himself in, with, in glory uh, with the U.S. Men's National Team. I, I don't see how he makes that, especially with other guys like right. Jordan Pifak, who's putting the ball in the back of the net, with guys like Brandon Vasquez who won't yep. stop scoring. I, this this Jesus seems got a this weekend. This right? seems yeah. like the end of the road for Daryl Dike, and it's a tough way to bow out.
0: Yeah, I'm with you that he was a pretty wide, long shot anyway, right? Hadn't been called up in 2022, and really it's hardly played club uh, this year. I think he's got something like 90 minutes, 95 minutes total uh, since he made the move to West Brom. And it's starting to be one of those cases, Herc, where we start to worry about the player, right? It was, I think, a hamstring injury when he first got there in January. Now it's a torn thigh muscle. These are one muscular injuries but they're serious muscular injuries we're talking about at least two months here i'm starting to worry about daryl DK's career and his ability to stay fit right not his ability but his ability to be available you got to stay fit if you're going to be competing for minutes listen, in these tough leagues
1: listen it was the shoulder at goal cup now these two injuries mm. now i've always been heard it's better to be available than good and this is the case mm. here you can't prove how good you are if you can't get on the field
0: All right, hopefully we're wrong. Hopefully uh, Daryl Dike will have a a quick recovery and uh, can make a charge for the roster in Qatar. We got more injury news here, Herc. Richie Ledesma uh, starts for PSV, but subbed off after another injury. Herc, this is a kid who's got a ton of talent, but just can't seemingly catch a break.
1: This is brutal. I can't believe... Yeah, this has got to be three games more I mean this is just a ridiculous tackle could be extended time for Richie Ledesma
0: RSL Academy kid US youth national team lots of run there Uh, of course a Mexican descent as well still only 21 years old but man the injuries just seem to be uh, piling up for a kid who was a really really hyped up prospect let's run it back uh, with more from the US men's national team pool speaking of injuries and fast recoveries Weston McKinney's back remember he hurt that shoulder we thought he'd be out for a month he started today Hurt for, for Juve as they beat Sassuolo 3-0.
1: My man's like a month early <laughs> and dropping all kinds of news too. The, the kit news, I know. Weston tried to warn us. Uh, by the way, was he playing as an outside like midfielder?
0: The versatile, the ever versatile Weston McKinney. Josie Altador got his first goal for Puebla in a crazy 3 3 against Cholos. That's a gam goal. Gam. G A M. You know
1: what I'm talking about. Off me. Off me, Guzman. Off me, Victor. Left footed finish. That was a the second. They got the third. 3 3 Puebla.
0: Yeah, what a comeback for Puebla down to 3 1. Haji Wright, the game winner for Antalyaspor, for His first goal since the permanent transfer. All right, uh, picking
1: right up where he left off. This is a legit golazo, a bullet of a diving header.
0: Malik Tillman, another goal for this young man. Remember he scored last week in Champions League, this week in the Scottish Premiership as Rangers won 4-0 over St. Johnstone.
1: The first right here, this is the second goal he scored in consecutive weeks, but it's the second time it's a header as well. I did not know he had this part of his game.
0: I'm telling you, I'm telling you, watch out. He's going to make the team for Qatar to the championship. Zach Steffen made a couple saves for Middlesbrough. Also, we got to see Matthew Hoppy make his debut for the club as they drew 2 2 against Sheffield United on Sunday. Again, available on ESPN Plus, Herc. How about that? Uh, Middlesbrough, uh, the new Team America for all those USMNT fans rooting on in the championship, which is just one of the many properties on ESPN+. So is the Bundesliga, and we got games coming for you this weekend. Dortmund against Werder Bremen. Maybe some Gio action there uh, Saturday on ESPN+, and ESPN Deportes, main ESPN as well. Coverage starts uh, at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time.
3: ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks
0: All right, Herc, let's turn our attention to major League Soccer, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the best of the West. The top of the Western Conference We're firing on all cylinders this weekend. Aside from LAFC's five spot against Charlotte, uh, we'll get to that a little bit later, Dallas won 4-1 over San Jose. Austin came back to win 4-3 against Sporting Kansas City. And they're not at the top of the West, but the LA Galaxy put up five against Vancouver in a 5-2 win. So, Herc, all of this action out West got us thinking. Who is actually the biggest threat to LAFC in the Western Conference? Who are you going with?
1: Before I answer, by the way, 10 goals for the LA teams this weekend.
0: Mm-hmm. Five
1: and five. That is ridiculous. Something special is going on here in LA, and I'm loving it. Uh, it's Austin. It is Austin. Listen, uh, there is no bigger turnaround in Major League Soccer than Austin. What Austin is doing is insane. I did not see it coming from the bottom of the West last year, one of the teams that was struggling the most, to chasing literally six points behind LAFC, who everybody's talking about has already won everything, with an MVP candidate in Sebastián Driuzzi. My man is scoring goals, 17 goals. What's he got? Seven assists? It's not just him. Diego, uh, Diego Fagundes, we're seeing the best out of him uh, all of a sudden. He's got uh, ten, 10 assists and 5 goals. Uh, it seems like Josh Wolf has found the stability he was desperately looking for with this team. And I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. All right, they're a good team. But have you seen LAFC play at home? Because mm-hmm. the road leads through LAFC, right? That's what we're mm-hmm. thinking. The best road team in the league is Austin FC. I'm all in on Austin. I, I know I hate Texas. Odio mm-hmm. Texas. I don't like Texas, all right? I'm not about Texas. But I want to go to one of these games. What they got going on is something special. I would love to see LAFC Austin, and we're going to see it because it's going to be an ESPN Mm -hmm. game Mm -hmm. in about a week or Mm -hmm. 10 days, we will get to see it, and I'm there. But the biggest threat to LAFC, without a doubt, is Austin FC.
0: Okay, I'm gonna go FC Dallas. I'm gonna go FC Dallas here, and here's why. The old expression tells us, right? Defense wins championships. Out of everybody in the West, outside of LAFC, the team that gives up the fewest goals is FC Dallas, okay? So I think right there they have a big edge. Not only are they good defensively, they are much better, Herc, than Austin defensively, who shipped three this weekend, three last weekend, and two weeks before Boy, that you shipped Austin. four Against you the New York Austin. Red Bulls, right? You gotta be defensively sound, Herc, when it comes to the playoffs. Plus, let's not pretend like FC Dallas doesn't have firepower, right? We got Arriola, we got Velasco, and we got Jesus Ferreira, who had a brace over the weekend. I think is now up to 14 goals on the season. You don't give FC Dallas any love. You really think defense is is that little of a priority come playoff time? No,
1: I just think there are two seasons. There's a regular season and then there's playoffs. And I've seen FC Dallas in the playoffs. Throughout their history. It's not a team mm. I trust. Okay. And uh, Nico Estevez, and you may have changed things. Uh, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, everything. Sebastian LeJet now, who, by the way, bagged a couple assists uh, this weekend. It could be a different team, sure, but it still smells like mm. Seattle Sounders are bouncing in the playoffs.
0: Okay. Oh, 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 okay. Okay. Interesting that there. you mentioned that. <laughs> I, I will note neither, us, neither <laughs> of us picked the LA Galaxy uh, as the biggest threat to LAFC. Let's get to the bad, and it is in the Pacific Northwest, where the aforementioned Hurts, Seattle Sounders, lost 2-1 to against RSL on Sunday. That's not the only bad news for soccer fans in the Pacific Northwest. The Portland Timbers were also in action over the weekend. They lost 3-1 against Toronto, On Saturday, Herc, right now, as we speak, both these teams are below the playoff line in the Western Conference. Who do you think, with about 9, 10 games to go, is in worse shape, the Timbers or the Sounders? It's the Seattle
1: Sounders, Seb. It's the Seattle Sounders because of the expectations, because of what they're going through. This could be the first time in their history where they don't make the Mm playoffs. I'm talking about 13 straight playoff appearances. The cream of the crop in Major League Soccer. No other team could presume that no other team could say that. And I know it's injuries. I know a lot of it's injuries. Losing Joao Paulo is a huge blow, okay? Trying to replace him with a teenage Obed Vargas that's not the greatest thing. And then you lose him because the kid breaks his back. Even worse. Ruznak playing as a double six, I'm not a fan of. The depth is being tested here. Raul Ruiz Diaz has been absent pretty much the whole year. You've not gotten your goal score. He's back now, but nobody puts the ball in the back of the net. You're talking about a team that's already lost five games at home. They're, they're a shell of their former self. The last time they were this bad, the last time they lost seven of the last 10 was 2016. They fired the late and great Siggy Schmidt may he rest in peace they fired him for that but that same year mm. they made an epic turn they just had more time they had a lot more time they lifted an MLS cup but they had a lot more time they don't have that time here and what's coming up it's probably worse it's a three game road trip and it's the galaxy your boy's gonna call with Mariso Pedrosa on ESPN Deportes this, this Friday it's the Classico versus Portland don't smile wipe that smirk <laughs> off your face And it's Orlando. It's on the road. Mm -hmm. They are terrible on the road. They've not sang Jingle Bells on the road many times this year. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about the Seattle Sounders. Yes, I am, Seb.
0: Wow. Hercules Gomez, the official pundit, a Sounders TV is turning against his beloved franchise. I got to keep it real? I know. I know. It proves that there are no true biases here on this show. Herc will always keep it real. Just to be clear. Do you think that the Sounders are going to miss the playoffs for the first time in their MLS history this season?
1: Oh, no, Seb. No. Okay. Okay. (laughs) No, you know what? That's the problem with Major League Soccer. It's too forgiving. You can't waste away so much of the season and say, there's 10 games left. We still got a chance.
0: Okay. So it doesn't sound like you're actually that worried about the Seattle Sounders. I am worried.
1: It's the Seattle Sounders. But here's why I'm not worried, even if they do miss it, even if it is the first time, which would be monumental, historical for them to mm-hmm. miss a playoff, mm-hmm. they won the Champions League.
0: Oh, okay. All right, all right. That, uh, there's some money in the bank up in Seattle, no is credit, what you're saying. No Look, I, I, think, I think the Timbers are in worse shape here. One, I think, I think the Seattle Sounders are a more talented team. Yes, they're beat up, but if guys get healthy and get going, I think they, get, they got more on paper than the Timbers. My question with the Timbers, Herc, is who's going to get you goals, right? go goal to right now is, I think, their top scorer. He's not in double digits yet. And if you look at, like, the heat maps of how Portland plays, the player that's closest to goal, that's furthest upfield, is Sebastián Blanco. Yeah. Now, I love Sebastián Blanco, especially the Sebastián Blanco of maybe two, three years ago. But he's not the guy I want closest to goal. If I need goals in the postseason, he's a creator. But I, I just don't see this Portland attack really ticking over. I look at their last few games and... Unless another team gets a red card or it's a crazy like 4-4 game, they're getting a goal here, a goal there. I don't know that it's enough. You know what else I don't like? I don't love their schedule. Let me, let me pull up some of the games here. Away against Austin, tough. Away against Columbus, tough. Away against RSL, tough. Even the home games, you got Seattle, you got Atlanta, teams that are below the playoff line, but again, loaded with talent, can do damage on a given day. Plus then, to finish the season, you got Minnesota and LAFC at home. Those are not easy games. That's not an easy run-in for Portland. And on top of all of that, I know a lot of people who watch this show have probably seen the reporting out of the Oregonian this week. uh, Reports from former Timbers and Thorns employees about a toxic workplace environment with those organizations. You know me, Herc. I always believe that off-field stuff, it bleeds over eventually on the field. Right now, I don't think things are great in Portland. uh, And I'm not feeling really good about the Timbers' playoff chances right now. I do think they could very well miss. The only thing is that now. Nashville is trending down right now as well, so yeah. it seems like everybody in that race for the Western Conference final playoff spots isn't really, really ready to grab hold of it just yet. Quickly, last year. Yeah, word
1: that, here. that game versus Seattle will be important because Seattle's got a game in hand on them, uh, and they're chasing them. But you're absolutely right. And, and Sebastian Blanco is the man I probably want in front of goal, but not this season. Not post knee surgery. Uh, they're they are hurting to to kind of get back with the Huliwa. Felipe Mora has not been that guy either. So I, I agree with you. It's not an easy situation for Giovanni Savarese.
0: Okay, so we've covered the good, we've covered the bad, Herc. Let's get to the ugly from Major League Soccer. The Philadelphia Union, 4-1 winners over Chicago. Corey Burke scored a goal in the 82nd minute. What's interesting here is he celebrated his goal by eating a banana. And later, uh, on an Instagram post, he kind of explained why. Here's the quote. Whenever they try to break you but didn't know you're stronger than whatever they throw at you, racism is not acceptable. Herc, we don't know the full story here, at least I don't, uh, but not a great look there. And certainly we credit Corey Burke uh, for standing up against racism.
1: Absolutely. Big credit to Corey Burke for standing up to racism. We don't know the full context of this. Uh, there are some estimations that it, it's in response to something that happened against Chicago last season, uh, but there's no place for this Uh it, Huge props to Corey Burke and the awareness he's bringing to it.
0: Philly, uh, first place in the Eastern Conference right now. Five points clear of second place. uh, Montreal, again, after their 4-1 win for the Philadelphia Union over Chicago on the weekend. Let's run it back with some of the best from MLS from a wild, wild weekend of action. We will start with a player who we've already mentioned in this segment. Brandon Vasquez, his 15th goal of the season for Cincinnati in a 2-2 draw against Atlanta.
1: You want to hear something crazy? Go on. Along with those four assists, this was number 15. None of them from the spot zero penalty kick goals my man is hot
0: nice the anti-penaldo they're calling him then uh, as he gets another goal. FC Cincinnati and Atlanta sharing the spoils. Jesus Ferreira with a brace. Now up to 14 goals on the season. FC Dallas 4-1 over San Jose.
1: Five assists to go with it. Dallas is balling. I told you Sebastian Jet had a, he backed a couple assists as well. This team is uh, turning all the, or pressing all the right buttons I should say. It is still Dallas. I am still not I a believer. I was just
0: about to say, you should tell that to my co-host who is was dogging Dallas just earlier in the show. Now, now suddenly you're uh, you're singing a very different tune. Or elsewhere in Texas, Hector Herrera. Hasn't had a whole lot of great moments with the Dynamo, but here's one, his first assist with Houston in a game against uh, Montreal. Unfortunately, it came in a loss, 3-2. Yeah, a few things. The
1: stadium doesn't look that full, Seb. And two, this is a <laughs> monster of an assist. Did you notice he hit this left footed?
0: Yes, beauty of a ball, beauty of a ball. Carlos Vela with his eighth goal of the season. Might wanna pick him up behind the defense.
1: So I watched this game in Spanish and the color commentator called Charlotte's a below a below level amateur team. Oh.
0: That's what it looked like at times. That's what happens when you ship five and score zero. We mentioned scoring big goals. Chicharito the Panenka in a 5-2 win for Galaxy over Vancouver, his 10th of the year. So he was low on
1: confidence, and that's why he wasn't taking penalties. Now he's taking penalties and he's doing this?
0: (laughs) come on. Had an assist in this game too, uh, didn't he? So Chicharito saying, hey, Tata, don't you forget. Also from the Galaxy game, Efrain, Alvarez, his third of the season.
1: I mean, that's a a good little finish because he follows the run. It's on a platter for him, yes. What is that, Jovulic? That guy just does everything,
0: huh? Efra with the goal as the Galaxy pick up a big win. Speaking of the Galaxy, they're on ESPN and ESPN Deportes on Friday. LA Galaxy versus the Seattle Sounders. Hercules Gomez and Mauricio Pedrosa on the call in Spanish.
3: All right, let's get to
0: Liga América facing Pumas. A battle for Mexico City bragging rights in this one. America off to a quick start in the 37th minute. Diego Valdez finishing. I mean... <laughs> Did you see
1: the little chip right there by Henry Martin? How confident is he? Off the crossbar, it's a nice, easy finish for Diego Valdez. And Pumas, that's not where you want to be at home to America.
0: Speaking of forwards who are sending messages to Tata Martino. Uh, Well, Henry Martin, not Cabecita Rodriguez. He scores here in the 57th to make it 2-0. He's heating up since the move. Wow, it's a great
1: finish. He needed this goal. This goal is going to do wonders for his confidence. He hasn't been playing well. That'll do a lot of fixing for it.
0: All right, and then in the 78, America gets their third. Alejandro Sendejas makes it 3 0. This
1: is just an exquisite goal. I mean, little sombrerito with the right foot finishes with the left foot. Look at this. <laughs> oh, nothing
2: you can do 3-0 there 3 0 <laughs> in the Gonzalez. final
0: score post game. Pumas fans feeling it.
2: Ganas me dan de llorar. Se lo juro, perder con el América es lo que más
3: te duele. pico.
0: Alright, herc I will I will laugh at a grown man crying, but I draw the line here I uh, laughing at a poor kid crying about about Pumas. Now, I will also note here the anti-America sentiment shown clearly from our production team because America wins 3-0 and this is not about look at America, back from the dead, another revival under Tan Ortiz. No, production makes this. Does Danny Alves make Pumas worse? So what do you think? Has Danny Alves actually made Pumas a worse team?
1: In their defense, this was a topic on every single show Mm -hmm. in Deportes. Like every show, Sports Center, Football Picante, Cronometro, Ahora Nunca, like all the shows on Deportes, this subject came up. And no, he doesn't make them worse. This Mm. is who Pumas is. This is their reality. But Lilini does himself no favors when he puts Dani Alves, who's already in the latter stages of his career, who physically can't compete, As a defensive midfielder, you don't Mm. protect yourself. You don't cover yourself with glory, at least not defensively. He can do so much good for you with the ball at his feet, uh, from from, uh, a wing position, looking to serve the ball with space. He can do these things. He can do it very well. When you have him protect Mm -hmm. your center backs, when you have him protect the defensive line, well, it's going to be open sesame. It's going to be open uh, runway in transition on both ends. And this is what we're seeing. He doesn't make Pumas worse. He makes Pumas Pumas. But the fact <laughs> that a player who makes over $3 million a year yes. is being seen like this makes it worse. Mm. Makes the transaction for Dani Alves look
0: that much worse. Right. The point I think, I think that you're getting at, right, is like if you're Pumas and you don't have unlimited big money moves to make, could you have improved yourself more by spending the money that you spent on Dani Alves elsewhere? And I think the answer is yes. But just to get to your point about the position he's playing, if they moved him from midfield to right back or right wing, do you think he'd make them better then? Because he's even if you're saying he's not making them worse, in this current role, he's definitely not making them better. And they need to get better right now. They're not even in the places of repechaje.
1: They weren't in a pechaje last season. Not. This is Pumas' level. It's like, and I say that with all due respect. Like you are who you've shown you are throughout the previous seasons. You're standing. That's, that's what we've seen. Take away the CONCACAF Champions League, okay? Because you say, oh, look at Dinano, Look what he did in the Champions League. Uh, he doesn't do that in league play. And he's not done that in league play for quite some time. So don't buy into that smoke. Don't buy into that hype. You need to put this guy, you need to put this man where he can help you, and it's not the defensive midfielder position. Liga MX is a very, very draining league, tactically Hmm. and physically. And what I mean physically is, do you know what it's like to play at Seul? The altitude, the smog, the conditions, the field is enormous. Uh, The the, the style of play, the ball runs so fast on that field. It's, it's a unique setup, unlike, sure, Unlike maybe something Danny Alves has experienced, whatever you may think of wherever he's been, it's not been here.
0: Let's not hit the panic alarm too hard, Pumas has only lost once this season. They've they've also only won once, um, but they've only lost once so far this season. So there you have it. Uh Pumas yeah. and Danny Parsifism Alves. Too. Okay, yeah, yeah, that one that one that one didn't count, but it hurt. It hurt bad. Uh speaking Speaking of, not defeats, but results that I think hurt. Chivas Atlas, the Clásico Tapatío. A lot of people saying this was Ricardo Cadena's last stand. Nine minutes in, Luis Reyes is going to see red for this tackle. What would you think, Herc?
1: Uh, that's not a red. Hey, that, that, that can't be a red. I think Isaac Frisuela recognizes that as well. I don't, this ruins the game. Hueso Reyes, he's out. Changes everything.
0: Things would be evened up. A little bit uh, less than half an hour later. Miguel Ponce going to see red for this challenge in the 36th.
1: Yeah, I I I didn't think that was a red either. You know, honestly, I I thought it was another bad call. By the way, another red card for Ponce. He was red carded last year's Clásico as well.
0: Yeah, you see the box score this game, all the red cards. You'd have thought, boy, it was a, a, you know, a a physical game, a violent game. I didn't really think it was that. 63rd minute, uh, Julian Quiñones there uh, bending it in on the free kick.
1: Yeah, Jimenez, I mean, it's a good ball in, and he goes with the player, it bounces, side netting, it's good service.
0: Chivas get their equalizer in the 84th, Carlos Cisneros, Herc. This was
1: the first goal at home for Chivas all season. It's a well-taken goal, receives at the right, finishes the
0: left. Still not a win, post-game, all the players at the presser. Eh, Ya no sirve de nada hablar más, nos sentimos apenados, frustrados,
2: eh, dolidos con la afición.
1: Y bueno, eh, lo único que nosotros queremos decirle a ellos es que que no nos abandonen, que que de verdad los los necesitamos, nosotros nomás le queremos decir a a, a la afición que, que la siguiente taquilla es gratis, para que no nos abandonen.
0: All right, Eric, a lot to unpack here. Basically, Chivas players in entirety showing up to the post-game press conference to apologize to the fans and not just that, offer to pay for their tickets to the game so that the aficion doesn't abandon the Chivas players right now in their moment of need. By the way, they are winless in eight so far. Give me the players' perspective first, right? If you were in their situation somebody asked you to do this, would you be cool with it? No, no, it's not that... You know what? I wouldn't be
1: cool with it because it, it's very forced. First right? of co-
0: Hold on, hold on. Because there's no way, right, that the Chivas players actually sat in the locker room after this game and were like, you know what? Let's do this. Somebody clearly put them up to this, right? That they was my put first reaction. They
1: were forced into it, I should say. Right. And it's not the first time, actually... That Chivas has done something like this where they communicate or send messages through the press, through a press conference. We saw Marco Fabian do it before where he asked the Chivas fans not to boo him. He's growing as a player and as a person. He would appreciate if they're not be, if not booed him, he would get better. He promises to be better. And then we also saw Chivas' board, La Directiva, announce a nuevo refuerzo, like a new reinforcement, and it turned out to be the fans. So they do these silly things all the time. And it's ridiculous. It's dumb. It's stupid. I don't understand this. And the fans should feel insulted. And the reason they're doing this is because this was a clásico. This was Atlas versus Chivas. And many will say there is no bigger clásico when it comes to passion, like an Atlas versus or Chivas. It wasn't a full stadium. The mm. fans didn't come out and they've not been coming out for quite some time. This is a team that no longer counts on the best Mexican players or even the second best Mexican players. They're not in a great moment. And it's been like that for quite some time. And now you're seeing it. It's being reflected in the stands. People mm. aren't showing up. People are disillusioned what they see from these players, what they see from this team. And the worst part about this, this was the best game they played. All season. Mm. It was the best version of Chivas we had seen all season. The very last play of the game was Santi Ormeño on a 1v1 with Camilo Vargas, and he chips it right over the crossbar, it would have won them the game. This was the best version of Chivas, and they come out and do this.
3: Mm.
0: Uh, Nevertheless, they are 17th currently uh, in the table. Zero wins from their eight games so far, Herc. It looks very, very bad. I would just feel from a player's perspective, you got to be humiliated. you got to be absolutely humiliated to have to all walk out there with your tail between your legs and say, I'm sorry to the fans. And on top of that, On top of that, endure the insult of being told that you have to pay for the tickets of the fans to get them to come watch. Dude, that's what we did in high school. That's what we did when we were in club. We would pay for people to come watch us. Professional players at the biggest or one of the biggest clubs in Mexico should never be humiliated like this. This is a horrible look for Chivas. It's more ammunition against those who say Vergara should sell the team because clearly what's happening here is he's shifting the blame to the players and off his terrible hiring of Ricardo Cadena, who we said might not last past the Clásico Tapatío, but apparently, apparently, Herc, uh, Uh, he has. Let's get to one more game from the weekend. Cruz Azul against Toluca. And this game, a very, very interesting one for a few different reasons. 18th minute, Cruz Azul going to open the scoring via the header, Herc. That's
1: Ramiro Funes Mori, yes. Rogelio Funes Mori, Mexican national team, his brother, his twin brother with the
0: goal. All right, so it's 1-0 Cruz Azul at that point. Toluca responds on the half-hour mark. John Meneses to John make it Meneses, 1-1. Meneses, sweet little one-time finish. Jurado can't do anything. He, he tried doing the stick safe, no good. Just before the half, more from Toluca. Marcel Ruiz, once one of the young promises of Mexican football, makes it
1: 2-1. Good little bar by Fernando Navarro. Off the left-footed reception, right-footed finish. It's 2-1 heading into the break
0: one at the half. Toluca in charge. It would stay that way deep into the second half. Toluca player is gonna be upset about this call after a collision in the box. What do you think, Kirk? Uh,
1: okay, look at Jurado. It's not the collision, it's where he lands. I, 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 oh I'm sorry, that's not Jurado, that's Thiago Volpi. That's the collision they're looking for right there. I I thought it was fair, I thought he should play, I thought the goal should stand, and it will.
0: Alright, so it stands there at 2-2. We go to the 87th minute. Here's the play with Jurado. There. Coming we go. out, punching away, and now the referees involved yet again. Yeah, Rafa Vaca's
1: got all the reason in the world here to be upset. You cannot call this a penalty and a red card. To Jurado, they're saying that he stepped up. I I don't know what you want him to do. Watch out where he lands? Like, what's going on here? You can't red card the goalkeeper for this.
0: Jurado comes flying out there, and there you see it, his right leg coming down. But yeah, it really seems uh, exagerado to say the least. So in the 98th minute, our old friend Camilo Sanveso steps up and makes it three, two, Toluca. What a moment. But there was still time left in this game, Mark. Time enough. Fruriel Antuna. Remember what we saw from him at the uh, All-Star Skills competition?
1: Yeah, it's a combination of Antuna, combination of Punez Mori at the end. It's a good little ball across by Antuna. You can't get it across. I think it's a Paraguayan at the end who couldn't get it across. But there's a few and other so, plays there, Seb, that mm-hmm. weren't seen that were very controversial as well.
0: All right, so Toluca, in the end, wins 3-2, Herc. Who's to blame here? VAR? Or Cruz Azul, are they themselves responsible for the latest Cruz Azul yada?
1: Listen, we could say what, whatever we want, or you may want about their lack of finishing. Like, it, it,
0: it, if they finish,
1: there is no reason to go to VAR. There is no reason to look at. By the way, 90th-plus minutes after that penalty kick where Juan Escobar has to go in net and try to face Camilo Sanveso and it gets scored on, there is no reason for that to happen. Literally right after that, there were two two potential penalty kick calls uh, holding and players being thrown in the box of a corner kick that were not called, weren't even taken to VAR. So you could say what you want about that, but we have to acknowledge this, and this is why I'm saying it's more on the referees, more on VAR. Mm. Refereeing in Mexico, it is an all-time low. I've never seen the refs in Mexico be so bad. Liga Américas today is the worst I've ever seen. Not just this game, the Atlas game. Every other game we've seen, there's always one moment, one questionable moment. Why was this called? Why did it not go to VAR? What is going on here? There is no explanation. Say what you want, but if those are called, they change the complexion of the game for Cruz Azul and we're not having a discussion. We're not saying Toluca won. We're saying it could have been a
0: 4-3 game. Do you feel like VAR or the the VAR operators in Mexico feel like they get paid per intervention? There's some calls where I think, all right, the guys who are running VAR are truly trying to sell the center ref, sell the official on something, convince the official of something when what, what, what the naked eye sees, what the sports fan sees, is nothing that would ever come close to a penalty, like the play we're seeing here on Jurado. I mean, how? How can you how can you give that as a penalty? Yeah, how know, can you honestly give that as a penalty? You
1: know what the worst thing is? And Cesar, Cesar Huerta, a colleague of ours on ESPN Deportes, said it best. Video assistant referee is being turned into picture assistant referee. Mm. They're taking mm. still shots and mm. judging off still shots. It's supposed to be off of video, which you see a sequence, not freeze frame a picture of where there's contact so it's a foul. And that's what's being called.
0: Yeah, almost like the referees are kind of like leaning too much on VAR, right? At this point, it's like, hey, well, we don't have to do anything. VAR will always bail us out. We'll kind of tell us what to do. And it seems like they're starting to lose control of some games. There's always complaints about the referee, Herc, but I'm with you. It seems to be coming up uh, in more egregious Examples and more and more often than it has before in Liga MX. Let's run it back with some players in the Mexican national team pool, doing some things over in Europe. We'll start with Chucky Lozano, Herc, who got his first assist of the season for Napoli. There it is, the cross.
1: It's a good cross, a good finish. It's a good ball by Chucky Lozano. He needs a big season.
0: Mexico needs them to have a big season. Napoli, 5-2 winners over Verona today in Serie A. Uh, action as Chucky Lozano gets off to a, a good start to his Italian campaign ahead of the World Cup. We had a, de- a trio, Herc, of debuts. We got Santi Jimenez at Feyenoord. We got Diego Lainez at Braga over the weekend and Johan Vazquez at Cremonense and said, yeah, so good news there for those Mexican players. Yeah,
1: I need to have a big season or from at least Santa Jimenez, Johan Vasquez, because I think those are positions of need. Especially Johan, that's a guy that people have been claiming for with the Mexican national team.
0: Yeah, Vasquez, probably of those three, the the surest bet to start. But uh, you could see all those guys making a bid for significant playing time. Anyway, come the World Cup in Qatar. Speaking Hercules of debuts in Europe, what about in the Spanish second division? Alonso Aceves and Marcelo Flores getting the debuts for Real Oviedo today in a one nothing defeat. Uh, Aceves started the game, Flores off the bench.
1: Yeah, Aceves and, and I mean, really it's Marcelo Flores who's going to get the headlines here. He does anything of worth. We're going to hear about it. It's going to be all over the Mexican press. Uh, good little cameo today. Gets his debut.
0: There you go. See him getting... Uh, Getting fouled there, drawing some uh, defensive attention one-on-one. We know that's his strength. Let's see if he can uh, turn it into some goals and an, ass- an assist for Real Oviedo. Again, uh, they lost uh, in, ga- in our game today in the Spanish second flight by a final score of one nothing. Edson Alvarez with his first, and we're putting this in quotations, assist of the season for Ajax.
1: Yeah, we've given uh, an assist for less, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, you can have it. Take it. It's an assist. Kaiser. Kaiser.
0: Uh, Ajax, 6-1 winners uh, yesterday over Groningen in Eredivisie action as the uh, Dutch top flight there. Ajax looking to repeat as champions. Alright, Edson, he's got his Got his handshake down. Orbelin Pineda, not an official competition a of Friendly, but he gets a brace for AK Athens. It's the Matias Almeida effect, Turk. Yeah, he had a goal,
1: what, a week ago? A brace? This week, it's what you want to see from Orbelin. Listen, the talent is there. We're all very aware of his talent. It's about now putting it together, being confident, heading to the World Cup.
0: Orbelin Pineda then with a brace in a Friendly for his new team. In Greece, we didn't see uh, Tecatito Corona in the run it back, but he may be in the next run it back, Sevilla against Real Valladolid on ESPN Plus, Friday at 3.50 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't miss any of the La Liga action on ESPN Plus. All right, let's turn our attention to the women's game, Herc. News for the Mexican national team, Monica Vergara has been fired as the manager of the senior national team. This, of course, after Mexico failed to qualify for the World Cup, despite the fact that the CONCACAF W championships were at home. They lost all three games, zero goals scored. Herc, if ever there was a just firing, this would seem to be it, yes?
1: Yeah, on the fallout of what was Gerardo Torrado and the rest of what seemed like all the federativos in the federation, yep, it was coming.
0: So Vergara out. Elsewhere in the women's game, the Ballon d'Or has its shortlist, or not so shortlist, of 20 players, and on it we find three Americans. Katarina Macario, Alex Morgan, and Trinity Rodman, Herc. Okay, of that trio, who do you think is closest? Who do you think has the best case for this year's Ballon d'Or? I will take Katarina
1: Macario. Katarina for... What the season was, what she was before the injury, a ridiculous season at mm-hmm. Lyon. I think she scored like 22 goals across all competitions, won the Champions League, uh, lifted a She Believes Cup, uh, and just her overall play, her star power. I know there are other, others with star power on this list for the Americans, Alex Morgan, Trinity Rodman. But when you look at the playmaking ability, I mean, she could finish, she could playmake, affects the game unlike... Unlike most uh, players I've seen in the women's game today, especially for the U.S. Women's National Team, I think she's a natural shoe-in uh, for being the most contested to win the Bolandiro for the women.
0: Look, Katarina Macario had a great season at Lyon, and had she not been injured, had she been able to participate in the Concacaf W Championship. And maybe had she started over Alex Morgan, she would have scored goals. I think she would have a pretty good case, probably not to win this award, but to be kind of a top five, right? I think it's got to be Alex Morgan because you look at what she's done in league play alone with the San Diego Wave so far this season, right? Tops in NWSL scoring hasn't really stopped since the campaign started. And let's not forget, dude, she's doing it on an expansion team. She is leading this team right now in a very impressive way. And then she goes and does it at the CONCACAF W Championships. And I know in 2022, let's be honest, the big tournaments that people were focused on were Copa America femenina and there were euros right that's what people were focused on in the women's game and probably your winner is going to come from those tournaments mm-hmm. but you can't hold the fact that Alex Morgan and the U.S. play in CONCACAF against them. She was the decisive player for the U.S. in the big games in this tournament. So I think when you look at her club work and her work at the international level, where neither Katarina Macario or Trinity Rodman have truly broken through yet, for me of the three, it's very clear Alex Morgan has the best case. That may only be... For this year and the next. And then Katarina Macario may be the player that has, at least in the American pool, has the best case. But I got to go still, her. You know me. I'm, I'm sticking with the veterans until I'm proven wrong. I'm going to go with Alex Morgan as the, uh, the best case of the American lot to get the Ballon d'Or uh, this year. Speaking of the women's game, at the global level, we got the Women's International Champions Cup coming up. This week on ESPN, and what a great couple matchups we have. Chelsea against Lyon, two of the the big-time European powers. That one, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPNU. And then at 11.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2 on Wednesday night, Portland Thorns against Rayadas of Monterrey. Semifinals ahead of the final coming up on the weekend. All right, uh, on Thursday's show, we got... Ricky Bush of the L.A. Galaxy. That's right. Coming to join us right here on Football Americas. It will be Hercules Gomez and Mauricio Pedrosa as I step away for a couple weeks for Little League World Good Series luck. I hope you guys 20. win. I'm not age eligible. I'm height eligible.